Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Um, If you're visiting with us today, uh, or if you weren't here last week, let me give you a quick recap as to what we are talking about in this, this series. We're covering one idea. That's it, just one idea. And it's really a, 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 a Jesus idea. It's not just a good idea, but it's a Jesus idea. It is a, a Jesus concept. And here's what you and I should know, that when Jesus gives us an idea or a concept, it automatically by default becomes a mandate. Are you with me? Like if I was to give you an idea or a concept, it would be called an opinion. And my opinions are up for, you know, endless debate. They're up for endless scrutiny, right? Especially by my boys who think they know everything and their dad knows nothing. All right, parents, come on, right? But when Jesus gives us an idea or a concept because of his authoritative nature, it automatically becomes by default a mandate. And the mandate that is on us is this one word that we're talking about, and that is evangelism, evangelism. So in Mark chapter 6, let me give you some context as to what's happening. Mark chapter 16, sorry. Jesus has been raised from the dead, resurrected. Uh, he has spent about 40 days or so at this point with his, with his peeps, with his disciples, with those closest to him, with his mother, you know, uh, and his good friends. And he's giving uh, some final instructions. He, he's back in his resurrected fashion. He has his resurrected body. So he's doing some really cool stuff, by the way. He's like showing up in disguise uh, to some people walking on the road. He's busting through some, some walls and just kind of showing up in rooms. But he's going to tell us some final instructions. And this is literally minutes before Jesus physically ascends back into heaven. And here's what you need to know. He's not just addressing a small group of people. He's not just addressing the 12 guys that have spent the last three and a half years kind of, you know, walking around with him, learning from him. He's not just talking to his mom and friends, but literally the Bible says 500 plus people are there. As this is happening in Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus, before he ascends, says this, go, somebody say go. Go. Go into all the world and do what? Preach the good news to everyone at its core. At the foundation, this is the definition of evangelism. If we were to keep it as simple as as we can, right, there are a hundred different nuances to what evangelism is and what that means, but if we want to keep it as simple as possible, this right here is evangelism, that we are to go all the way from Jerusalem to Gerard. Come on, we're to go throughout the world and preach the good news. And Jesus simply says this, anyone who believes and is baptized, they're saved. They're saved. Now you need to put your faith in Jesus and what he did, you're, you're saved. But anyone who refuses, anyone who rejects what Jesus did for them will be condemned. These are the literal last words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven and before he promised to come back again. Now, can we all agree that if you are getting ready to go away for a long, long time for an undisclosed amount of time that your final words to your friends, to your family, to those you know that you love, those closest to you, you're probably not going to have just some flippant conversation. Are you with me? You're probably not going to talk about your favorite episode of The Office. Mine would be Prison Mike or Scott's Tots, just so you know. All right, throw that out there. 
Like, that's probably not what's gonna happen. You will, can we agree, you're gonna calculate your words? You're gonna calculate what it is you want to leave behind? This is your legacy we're talking about. These are the people in the room who are closest to you. You are going to carefully choose the words that you leave with them, what you're saying last, and this is exactly what Jesus does. Of all the things that he could have told this crew of some 500 plus people, right, disciples in that moment, he said, I need you to go to all the world and tell people about me. Preach the the good news. And here's what's interesting about this is that not only is it the last thing that Jesus told us to do, but it was also the first thing that he called us to do when he called his first disciples to him. Check it out. Our theme text for this series in Matthew chapter 4 says this, one day, As Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew. And they were throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them and said, come and follow me. Now, I said this last week, and I think it bears repeating that uh, if, if you don't know somebody and they show up to your place of business, to your job, the thing that provides for you and your family, and on the spot, and you have no relationship with them, says, hey, you know, I want you to change careers like right now, he better have two things. He, first of all, he better have a killer salary package, right? Which we know, by the way, Jesus didn't offer. In fact, nobody's signing up for Jesus's retirement package because it included martyrdom. It included beheading and crucifixion and being stoned, right? Like nobody's signing up for that. Or you better have something so compelling about what you're asking me to do that I would think about and consider following you. So here's the compelling thing Jesus said they would do. Come and follow me and I'll show you how to what? Fish for people. And what blows my mind is that next phrase that says, and they left. Like at once. They left their nets at once and followed him. And listen, Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm going to change who you are at your core. He didn't say, I'm going to change your your gifting. I'm going to change your passion that you have for fishing. I'm going to change, you know, how I wired you. He said, no, I'm going to use those. I'm going to leverage those things that I placed inside of you for a more redemptive plan and purpose because he designed you and created you in the first place. And they followed him. And what I want us to see this morning is that the bookends of Jesus's life and ministry started and finished with evangelism. It's the bookends of what he called us to do. He leaves this world and says, go into all the world, tell people about me. And he comes onto the scene and the first two guys he picks, it says, hey, if you're gonna follow me and be my disciple, like the the foundation of of being a disciple is, is I'm gonna teach you how to evangelize, to fish for people. So evangelism is the bookends. It's the beginning And it's the ending of the discipleship process. And so here's what you need to know. If you're a first time just coming through these doors or you don't realize it yet, we are fully committed with a deep conviction to making evangelism the bookends of everything that we do here at this church. Because we believe that's what Jesus did. Now there is no question that there is a lot of information in the pages of God's word, right, that he's called us to do that matter and that don't initially um, relate to evangelism. And we're gonna talk about those things. Like throughout the year, we're gonna talk about stuff like, in fact, in October, I'm gonna do a series called Supernatural, and we're gonna talk about heaven and healings and miracles and angels and demons. That's, that's gonna be fun, so put that on your calendar. 
And I'm sure that throughout the year, we're going to, you know, talk about, uh, you know, four ways to, to free up, you know, anxiety in your life or six ways to stress less or, or seven ways to figure out your wife, which by the way, guys, you will never figure out your wife. That's what needs to be 777 ways, right? We're going to talk about all those things because all those things matter to us becoming uh, more like Christ and to, to living the full life that he says that we can live however the bookends of following Jesus and being a disciple, what we're called to be is to go out into the eerie region and beyond and tell people the good news. It's to know God and to make him, him known because it's possible to achieve uh, a better financial life. It's possible to achieve a, a better marriage. It's possible to achieve less stress in our, our lives. We can achieve all those things to, to ever-increasing levels, and how many of you know, still be devoid of a Savior? Do you know that? You can look good, like you have a lot of life whooped, like you've got some good things going on, and still be devoid of, of a Savior in your life. In fact, you might know people like that. Like, you understand that the principles of the kingdom of God work for both the unsaved and the saved alike if you apply them? Like, they do. You understand that there are people in this room because, because you have, you know, some area of your life whooped right now that you think you're doing pretty well and that you could make a, a case for the fact that you, you feel safe in your current position and you're in this false sense of security that you don't really have? because you're devoid of a, a savior? Your salvation is found in something else? In fact, let me camp on this for another hot minute. If you haven't already, you're gonna run into that, that staunch atheist who wants nothing to do with God, whose marriage is way better than yours. What's your gospel gonna be to them, Christ follower? You're gonna, if you haven't already, and I have, you're gonna run into that agnostic person who, who doesn't know what to believe. Is God a he? Is it a she? Right? Which religion do I follow? But they are, they are wise with their spending. They have money in their accounts. They have zero credit card debt, and they seem extremely generous. And there you are with an, an endless spending problem in your life, always in debt. So what's your gospel going to be to them, Christ follower? Are you with me? Does that make sense? Like, you're going to run into that person that's a fringe seeker that's just kind of kicking the tires, right? And their kids act way better than your kids. Your kids are crazy. What's your gospel going to be to them? Hey, come follow my Jesus, and your kids can look like my kids, right? No. It's, doesn't, you, what, what, it's precisely why Jesus said evangelism is the bookends of everything that he was about. And therefore, everything that we are about, because ultimately it doesn't matter what your life looks like. It looks like you got a lot of it whooped. Can I tell you something? It's eternity that hangs in the balance. Heaven and hell literally are at stake. And why we talk about this is because Jesus made such a powerful statement in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body. And here he talks about the, the doctrine of hell than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to, to stumble, cut it off, throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your entire body to be thrown 
into, he says it again, hell. And I don't want you to hear this as just some intense pursuit that we are to engage in to eliminate sin in our life. He's not talking about that. He's talking about something so much deeper than simply cutting off a part of your body so that you don't have some oopsies in this life. That's not what he's saying. Every, Jesus is trying to tell us, you can look like you got it all together. You can have everything intact and still, and still go to hell. Like, like you can be the, the guy at Niagara Point who earns $370,000 a year, who has two amazing kids, both with academic and athletic scholarships to a university, who never has to cut his lawn, who has a second home in, in Hilton Head, right? And who can sit, sit back and say, you know what? Like, if anybody is good, I'm good. Because look how well I've done at life. Look how, look how well, you know, I have, have made it. Look how it's played out for me. And that person can sit in that deception because he's got a lot of life whooped. And Jesus is saying, but still be thrown into hell. This is why we take evangelism seriously. Because God's all about the lost. And how many of you know, lost doesn't look like a certain thing or a certain someone. I know sometimes we think about those people who are lost, who are, you know, on the outside, that you know, they just kind of look like they're just homeless or roaming the streets, but that's not what lost looks like. I had an experience, um, maybe it was this last winter, up at Peak and Peak, and I was sitting there at a table. My, my boys were out snowboarding because I didn't want to kill myself, so I was just sitting in the lodge doing my thing. And there's this husband and his wife and uh, their little 10-year-old, and I think this is the reason why it stuck so um, so much into my mind and heart is because I have a son that was this son's age and the dad was just, you effing this, just berating him. And the mother was sitting there with her head in her hands, like embarrassed and weeping. Can I tell you, that's lost. That person needs a savior. Look like they have it all together perhaps, but they're, they're so lost. And I understand that that. There are 101 good reasons for us to engage in evangelism, but at the top of the list, and I promise you it's at the top of this list, it's where people will spend eternity. That's the top of the list. And I get it, hell's not a popular topic. Like nobody wants to talk about it, right? You didn't show up today thinking, great, we're gonna talk about hell. Like I understand that. Like I, I get it in our modern Americanized woke culture. Nobody wants to talk about hell. In fact, I think, you know, we canceled hell in 2020 along with everything else. <laughs> we want to talk about it, right? I understand that people want to try to explain it away, make it irrelevant to our existence. And I understand that in America right now, our highest form of love as we have defined it is, is tolerance and a blind acceptance of everyone and everyone's creeds and everything that they want to do and feel. Like, I get that. And so as not to offend anyone, we tolerate everyone. And you do you, boo-boo. And love is love. You're an animal, be an animal. I'm serious. But I have, I have a mandate not to just simply tickle ears or to offer nice general anecdotes for, for living. 
but to preach God's truth. And can I just remind you, not Colby's truth. This is not my opinion. This is God's truth, God's word. And when it comes to places like heaven and hell, we cannot read the gospels with any kind of integrity and attach tolerance and blind acceptance to the message that Jesus came to bring. Like we can't do it. If, if hell does not exist, and men, listen, I, I hope it doesn't. Like, I hope I get to heaven one day, and they're like, hey, dummy, you got that completely wrong. That would be awesome, because I don't want anyone to go there. And I realized that I only escaped it because of a free gift of grace, not because of anything that I could do or pay for on my own, right? It's the only reason that I escaped hell. But I can't see how Jesus would talk about the, the beautiful place of heaven but also the weeping and the gnashing of teeth in an endless fiery existence apart from God if it wasn't a reality. I know this is gonna be serious and sobering, but let me show you one passage of scripture that's foundational to what we believe about heaven and hell. It's found in the book of Revelation. Revelation 21. Um, and I know as soon as I say that, some of you are like, uh-oh. But then some people are like, Revelation, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. I've been waiting for this, for this. But in Revelation 21, we see John, who is the revelator, speaking about this vision that he was giving about the end times. And the end times, in other words, when Jesus is coming back and, and he wraps all this thing up and he brings everyone uh, to, to one of two eternal destinations, he's very clear about it. And here John is quoting Jesus, and Jesus is talking about the doctrine of heaven and hell. And it starts in verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth, in other words, the one we are living in right now, had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, and again, keep in mind, he's quoting Jesus. Jesus is saying this, look, God is now at home among his people, which was the original intent, by the way. In the garden, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, it was always God's plan for him to be with us. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me, right, I am his own. Like, that was the original intent, for God to be with us and for us to be with God. So Jesus says, God is now home among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And I love this. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Come on, this is heaven. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Why? Because all of that is gone for how long? Forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, still, John, quoting Jesus. So picture Jesus saying this to us, Elevate Church. Look, I am making all things new. I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. Write it down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and it's true. It's trustworthy and it's true. And can I just say, if what Jesus is, is telling us is not trustworthy and true, then why are we here? If it's not trustworthy and true, then he is not good. 
He is not a good rabbi. He is not a good teacher. Maybe he's just a guy who 2,000 years ago had a knack for the miraculous, right? But I believe that everything Jesus says is trustworthy and true. Otherwise, we are wasting our time. And he says this, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And then here's the great news of the gospel to all who are thirsty. Has anybody ever found themselves in that place? just desperate for something, just knew there was something inside of you that was missing, that was lost, that was broken. To all of you who find yourself there, I give freely from the springs of the water of life. Freely. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't, you, you don't have enough in your bank account on your best day of pious living to purchase what you and I forfeited in the garden when sin entered into the picture. And so he says, everyone, to all who are thirsty, I'll give freely from the springs of water of life. And all who are victorious, you've received that, will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. Now listen to this. He, he, he introduces the doctrine of hell. And this is equally trustworthy and true. This is equally trustworthy and worthy of us writing down as to what he was just saying about the good news. He says, but the cowards, the unbelievers, the corrupt the murderers, the immoral, those who practice magic arts. And just so you know, he's not talking about people running around pulling rabbits out of hats, all right, when he says that. That's not, he's not talking about your grandpa, you know, coming up to you and saying, hey, here's a quarter behind your ear. So I'm just saying, if you went to the magic shop yesterday, you're okay. I guess you're okay. I don't know. But he's talking about something much deeper. He's talking about sorcery. He's talking about those tapping into demonic spirits. That's what he's saying. And he continues. He says, idol worshipers. And just in case you haven't made the list yet, let's all go ahead and make this list right now. What does he say? And all who? Liars. So in other words, if we don't drink from that, that living water, that well that gives us life, Jesus because you know, we couldn't earn it, we couldn't pay for it or work for it on our best day, then we fall into this other category. And here's what it says. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, if that's not true, and Jesus is misquoted or, or he's lying, how evil is that? But if Jesus is actually saying something that is trustworthy and true, how dare any church on planet earth and subsequently any follower of Jesus not be evangelistic in our heart, in our passions, at our core, with our resources, with our time? Because I don't want anyone to experience that. An endless existence in a burning lake of fire, I don't want that on my worst enemies. Are you with me? So here's what you need to know if you've been coming to this church or considering it. We believe there's a very real heaven. Believe that. Jesus said that. But we also believe there is a very real hell. And we believe that at some point in your lifetime and in my lifetime, in everybody's lifetime, no matter your, your, your race or your creed or your place that you're from, you will have a time of decision. Do I receive or reject Jesus? Listen, we try to make, make it so we remove every single barrier to you being welcome walking in this church. And we will always do that. It doesn't matter if you believe what we believe. We will remove every barrier but one. 
and that's the cross. At some point, you have to come to a decision, did Jesus pay for my sins or not? And we believe we're all gonna be faced with that moment where either we receive or reject Jesus. And I can't flesh out intellectually how God is going to do that with complete justice and grace. I can't argue with you on that, so don't even ask me to. I don't even know if I need to because all I know is that in his goodness, he offers it to every single one of us. Every single one of us. So if what we believe about heaven and hell is true, then Elevate Church, we have a very sobering an awesome and difficult task of telling everyone in Erie and beyond with all blood, sweat, passion, energy that we have about the greatest news this world has ever known. We are committed to that. It's the best news on the planet. Like we cannot meet here in, in good conscience, you know, roughly 52 times a year like a country club and keep that news to ourselves. Like I refuse to do that. That's not what God has called us to do. We're going to pass it on strategically and intentionally. We're going to take that message as far and as fast as we can. And if I can even press on this a little bit harder and have a little pastoral moment with you, when our conversations begin to turn inward, you know what I'm saying? I really didn't like the song they sang today. That music is too loud. It's just too soft. You know, something just didn't sound right. Well, I heard that this, this is what's going on or that's what's going on. Like when that, when that consumes your talk and your text messaging, we've missed the point. We've missed the point. And I'm not saying we sacrifice excellence. We will never sacrifice excellence with what we do, but we will ruthlessly sacrifice arrogance. Like I don't ever want us to miss the point of what we're trying to do here, the mandate that we, we have. And I understand the gospel is extremely problematic. This is a problematic message on a lot of levels. Uh, if it wasn't, Paul wouldn't have said this in Romans uh, 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. You know why he had to say that I'm not ashamed? Because the first 15 verses uh, before that, he dropped some of the most confrontational, some of the most antagonistic, some of the most in-your-face message, right, that, that he ever has. And so he could stand there and say, I'm not ashamed of this. Because he understood something that in order for the good news to go forward effectively, he had to first share the really bad news. Are you with me? And listen, one of the greatest acts of faith you and I will ever do is to preach the fullness of God's truth, God's word. Because in order for the good news to go forward, we gotta first talk about the bad news. Otherwise, can I tell you something? It's just news. And the human heart has never been compelled to do anything great with just, with just news. Like in order for the, the good news to be really good news, you first have to understand the really, really bad news. What if I told you back in 2018, there were some kids that got rescued from a cave. You'd be like, okay, good story. 
But what if I told you back in 2018, there was a group of kids between 12 and 15 and their assistant soccer coach who went into a cave in Thailand during a monsoon and rainstorms came in and they were a mile and a half into the cave and it flooded the entrance and they couldn't get out. And for two weeks, they were stranded in the dark in this cave and divers went in. In fact, divers died giving their lives to rescue these children out of there. And after, you know, 17 days, everyone came out of that cave, you know, fully. Like, that's news, right? That's good news because you understood the bad news. And so we have to first understand the really bad news before we can appreciate the great news because we can take something amazing like Jesus And we can just share all the good stuff, the fluff, the grace, the rainbows and unicorns. Are you with me? But without first telling people the reality of heaven and hell, and apart from a relationship with Jesus, your default destination is separation in hell. You'll never understand the really good news. And we do people a great disservice. Like, how do you tell the guy in in Niagara Point, right, who has everything, that he needs a savior without first telling him that, like me, we're all sinners. And we're all in desperate need of of a savior. That, like me, my sin put Jesus on, on the cross. It can't be done. And so if what Jesus is saying is true and is worthy to write down, then we do a great disservice as a church if all we do is stand here on Sunday and talk about grace and mercy, and I'm all about that. 80% of what I talk about will be about grace and mercy, but we must talk about truth, the truth of God's word, because we cannot continue to tell people about the remedy of the cross without first telling them about the sickness of our sin and the impact of it and the sin that got Jesus put on that cross because the reason he had to get up there was because of what I did. For all have sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of the standard. My sin put him on the cross. Colby's sin, if you're a first-time guest here, you need to know it was my immoral thoughts, my pride, my lust, my issues, even after becoming a Christian, that landed Jesus on the cross. Right? My sin did that. And so we did that. And we have this, this because of his infinite commitment to love us, and save us, his image bearers, God sends his son and does the most heroic thing since Jesus and allows him to go up on a cross shedding divine blood to pay the price for you and I. That's the beautiful message of the gospel, but that beautiful message is not nearly as beautiful if you don't understand your desperate need for a savior. So we have to share the, the bad news before we get to the good news. Because you need to know the good news that it doesn't matter what you've done in this life. If you put your trust in Jesus, you'll be saved. And if you don't put your trust in him for salvation, you will spend an eternity in a fiery lake that Jesus is talking about. And I don't want that for anybody. Hey, this is why we fish. This is why this is important. This is why we have tough talks like this from God's Word, because in the kingdom of God, write this down, the sword always precedes peace. In the kingdom of God, the sword, confrontation, always comes before liberation. The sword always precedes 
peace, not in our world's kingdom of tolerance and blind acceptance, but in the kingdom of God, the sword of God always precedes the peace of God. In Matthew chapter three, it says this, in those days, John the Baptist, he came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was simply, repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, and here's what a prophet said some 600 years before John came onto the scene. He said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness who says what? Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. And I love this, clear the road for him. So it begs the question, like what can we do, church, to clear the road? Like how do we prepare uh, the human heart to receive Jesus, because John is this physical and prophetic picture of what prepares the human heart to receive Jesus rather than to reject him. And you know what the entry point is of preparation? He says it, it's repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God is, is near. So that means change. Rethink your life. Rethink the trajectory of your life, the direction that you are, are heading. Rethink what it is that you are, are doing. Rethink what you thought you knew about religion. Because it's not about religion. It's about a person. It's about Jesus. He, John says he's going to confound the wise. And he's going to shock the poor. Rethink this. We need to change. Why? Because the human heart is so, so ingrained in the world's value system that if we don't first repent, we might miss the Savior altogether. We don't want to miss Jesus. In fact, John, if, if you read John, I love John. He's such a, he's such a wild man. Like he's not what you would call a fluff and rainbows kind of, kind of preacher. And in fact, let's hear what he says. Because again, in the kingdom of God, the sword always precedes peace, right? Conf confrontation always precedes liberation. So this is what it says about John in verse 4. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, for food, he ate locusts and wild honey, total watchbird kind of dude. And for people, just making sure you're paying attention, people from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went to see and hear John, and here's what they did. Confessing their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees, check this out, coming to watch him baptize them, he denounced them. Now listen, he's, what he's about to preach to them, it's not because he, he wants to damn them to hell. That's not what he's doing. In fact, he wants to save them from it. But because they are so neck deep in, in the, 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 the religious system of the day, what John has to do is dump ice cold freezing water over their soul to shock them, to wake them up, to tell them the, the truth, the reality, to give them the really bad news so that they can better understand the really great news. And this is what he says. He says, you brood of snakes. I love that. I'm going to preach that way one day. <laughs> brood of snakes? That's not a very Americanized, tolerant type of message, is it? You brood of snakes. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't even try, I love this, don't even try the whole we're safe because we're descendants of Abraham thing. Let me modernize this for us. Don't even try the whole, well, I'm good because I was baptized as an infant. 
Don't even try the whole, well, I'm good because my grandmother, she drove me to church every single week until I was 16 and I pushed back enough to where she was like, forget it, I'm done with you, I'm dealing with it. But because she had such a strong faith, I must too, I'm good. That's what they're saying. And he's like, don't even try that. Don't even try it. He says, that means nothing for I tell you, God can create children for Abraham from these very stones. And then he says, even now, the acts of God's judgment. Whose acts of God's judgment is Jesus. He's poised. He's ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down. And here's the doctrine of hell again, thrown into the fire. And that's not an easy message to preach. He said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming who is greater than I, so much greater. I'm not even worthy to be his servant, to carry his sandals, he says. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. And listen to this. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. That's like an, a pitchfork. You, you throw up the, the chaff, the, the heads of wheat into the air and let the chaff blow away and let the, the pure grain, the wheat, fall down. He will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat, wheat meaning the believers. Those when faced with that decision, you received what Jesus did for you. You didn't reject him. Gathering the wheat into his barn. Barn is speaking of eternity in heaven, but burning the chaff, those who rejected Christ, with the never-ending fire. This is serious stuff. This is serious What's John doing? He's preparing the human heart. He's clearing the road, preparing them to receive Jesus. How's he preparing the heart? He's having a bold conf con con confrontation about our broken condition. He wants them to know we're broken, and apart from Jesus, he's sharing the extremely bad news with them in hopes that it awakens the best news of all, the free gift that Jesus offers us. And I'll end with this and I'll, I'll have the band come back out. And thank you guys for listening so intently. I know this is a lot of text, but in Matthew 10, Jesus says this, don't imagine that I came to bring peace. He says, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. He says, I've come to set man against father, daughter against mother. I've come to set daughter-in-law against, you know, mother in law, in other words, like, like this is going to be divisive. There's going to be separation in your home. Some of you feel this already based on, on this message. Right, right? You understand all, all too well the tension of, of having people in your own family who are, are far from God, who, apart from receiving Jesus, but Colby, I thought Jesus was the, the Prince of Peace. Doesn't the Bible say, you know, when he leaves my peace, I give you my peace, I, I leave with you? Yeah, he does. And it doesn't mean he doesn't want peace for humanity. What he's saying when he says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, is he saying, I'm going to bring peace, but I'm not gonna bring peace in the package you supposed it would come. That you thought it would come through. You thought it would, would look like in fact, actually, some of your families are going to be split because of this message. See, we believe in a very real heaven and a very real hell. So this is not a joke. It's not a joke. And we have a job to do. 
And this was the heart of Jesus. This was the heart of his, his father. I'll give you one more verse. And if you're judging uh, how well a message is based on the amount of verses that I give you, this is verse number 35, if you're keeping track. Proverbs 24, 11 says this, rescue those who are being taken away to death and hold back those who are stumbling to the slope. Like I want that to be the mission statement of my life. I want it to be that when I get to heaven, God looks at me and says, yeah, Colby, you know what? Salvation is from me, but you helped. You helped rescue those who were being taken to death. You, You helped, you know, hold back. Even if it's just for a little while, I'm trying to hold some of you back from stumbling to slaughter. Because I don't think we can find anything more fulfilling in this life than God, how can you use my gifts the way that you've wired me, the way that you've created me to play a part in the redemptive story of someone else. Because no human being deserves hell. Hell wasn't created for you. It wasn't, you need to know that. Hell is a, God does not send people to hell. People choose to go hell when they choose to reject what Jesus has done for them. And if we're gonna share what Jesus has done for people, it will require bold confrontation about our broken condition. It takes courage, I understand that. It takes guts, but we are not a country club. We are not a theological think tank. We are a rescue unit. We are a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We're a hospital. In fact, think about this. If you knew something was wrong with you internally and you went to to the hospital or you went to see a doctor and they ran some tests and the oncologist discovered that you had cancer throughout your body. But he decided, you know what? Their life looks okay right now. I don't wanna be the one to give them bad news. I don't wanna be the one to disrupt what's going on in their life. Like, I'm just not gonna tell them. I'm not gonna tell them and eventually this sickness, this disease will take them out. Can you imagine if that was the church? Can you imagine if we decide to sit back on our hands on the greatest news the world has ever been given and say, I'm just gonna let it play out in their life? When Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the the sick, I came for those who need a doctor. So we're gonna proclaim his message from this platform. We have a mandate to do that, but also you do too as those listening and agreeing and taking it. And we have a responsibility to take the word of God, even if it is a sword, and believe that ultimately it will produce peace in people's hearts and lives. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is beautiful. The word of God is encouraging. The word of God is inspiring, but the word of God is also confronting. It's confronting. Again, I know this is not an easy message to take, but we have a worldwide global epidemic, a cancer of the soul that spreads at a rate that none of us contain, can contain. It's called sin. And we all have it. And we were all in need of a savior. 
and until we understand the really, really bad news that apart from receiving him, that our default destination is apart from him forever. Now I want that one for anybody. So let's do this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes around this room in a very sobering moment? I just want to share with you what the word of God says is that if Jesus is trustworthy and true and that he offers us this free gift, and if anyone who is thirsty and feels this, this hole inside of their life needs to, to confess and repent and come to him and believe in him for forgiveness of sins, he will fill you up. He will fill that void in your life. And the, part of the best news is that he will give you an eternal existence with him in heaven one day, but also a full and complete and purpose-filled life today. And if you've been running from that decision, well, I'd say stop running because his words are trustworthy and true. And if you confess Jesus as Lord, the Bible says, with your lips, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be, be saved. You'd be saved from an eternal separation from him in hell and get to experience heaven forever. If that's you, that's why you're here. The way we do it is through prayer. We make that decision in our heart and we receive what Jesus did for us. If you'd say, Colby, that's me today. Would you be bold right now and just throw your hand up? No one's looking, just throw it up high. Just shoot it up right where I say, Colby, here I am. Yes, yes. And this is for God saying, God, I need you. I'm desperate. I understand the really, really awful news. But more than that, today I received the really, really great news. And that is you already paid the price for my sins, past, present, and future, once and for all. And so today, I'm giving you my life. Just keep it up high. If that's you, shoot it up. Come on, hands all over this room. Even online, if you're online, you can let us know as well. Awesome, 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 awesome. Praise God for all of you. You can put your hands down. And what we're gonna do is say a prayer because it's the way that we enter into this relationship with God. I'm gonna have our church be bold and pray this along with you. Those of you who have already put your faith in Jesus, let's say this out loud together. Say, Jesus, today, I give you my life. Thank you for dying for my sins so I could be free. You are my Lord, you are my Savior, you have my heart. Thank you for heaven forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate with those today. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.